This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This with your faithful Blaze Radio Network uh, reformist Muslim American patriot here to uh, wage with you the battle of ideas to uh, breach the uh, divide that uh, separates the Muslim world from the West, the land of freedom from the land of theocracy, and to bring you the first-of-its-kind radio program that uh, every week tackles the most difficult, controversial topics of the day and tries to get some sense out of the chaos, out of the horror that is the byproduct of political Islam and Islamism. For anyone seeking hope, seeking a solution, I hope that you find this your home week to week to get some answers from a reform-minded Muslim. On Reform This this week, I've got three things I want to talk to you about. One is the, the unavoidable topic of Europe being under siege. Second, I want to Take a little time as the conventions now have come to a close. While I try to stay away from partisan politics, um, I will tell you that now that the conventions are done, it is important to look at what are the liabilities of these candidates when it comes to helping reformists and looking at hope into the 21st century when it comes to reforming the faith of a quarter of the world's population. And last, I want to tell you a little bit about a project called Project Arrowhead uh, that uh, I'm joining Professor Godfrey Garner in Mississippi with, and I want to tell you a little bit about that. But first, Europe under siege. There is just no doubt that the situation in Europe is like nothing anybody could have predicted. I have talked to you last week and the week before about the attacks, most specifically the one in Nice on Bastille Day that killed 84. And since then, the attacks are coming not weekly, but almost daily. We saw an axe attack on a train. We saw attacks in Munich and in Ansbach. And most recently, there was this horrific attack just a few days ago by a radical by the name of Adel Karmishi, 19. He had been wearing an electronic tag that had been under monitoring from the French security apparatus. Why? Because he had tried twice to leave to go to Syria and travel abroad, and they said, you cannot do that, and they will track him and know immediately if he broke the barrier in the perimeter. So here's a guy they should have been monitoring. Then he had been joined by a second uh, attacker who was killed after this incident, so has not been identified. Um, but what happened was he 
attacked in the name of ISIS a church, and he took the life horrifically through the slitting of his throat and the stabbing of his chest of Reverend Jacques Hamrel, 86-year-old priest, was stabbed in the chest, and as this militant left the church, he said, Allahu Akbar, in the name of my faith of Islam. I mean, how much horror is this virus of ISIS going to continue to inflict on the world and Europe as it took in millions of Syrian refugees is beginning. We used to say that there were, most of these were all homegrown. And now we're seeing with some of the attacks most recently in Europe that it included Afghani refugee, it included uh, Syrian refugee. So now we're starting to see acts being committed by some of these refugees. And now the other one the other day was uh, in Munich was an Iranian German native that had originally been of Iranian descent. So now we see a Shia history, but that one still, we have limited information on what supposedly the motivation of that one was. But back to the horror that Reverend Hamel lost his life with. Hollande, the leader of France, urged the public to remain unified, and he said all people affected have been feeling affected, so we must have cohesion. No one can divide us. Terrorists will not give up on anything until we stop them. Three nuns laid beside the priest that had been murdered. One of them had escaped before she was also killed. And ultimately, um, the, the threat and the horror upon that community just cannot be described and given the correct words other than prayers and more apologies from especially from Muslims I believe as much as many may say we have nothing to do with it this ideology of militancy that attacks and believes that anyone that doesn't live in the land of Islam or is in the way of ISIS is somehow a soldier that must be killed and as you can see Nice was attacked because of the symbolism of Bastille Day This priest in the church was attacked because of the symbolism of a war against Christianity that radical Islam is waging. The security apparatus in France confirmed that Karamish tried to leave twice for Syria and he had been placed under judicial control in March 2015 after he tried to leave using his brother's identification to go on Syria's um, jihad, if you will. And then two months later, he tried again using his cousin's identification card. So again, while the threat may come from folks that are French, they're using the mobility of the refugees to deceive the system, and this one was stopped. He was detained March 18, 2016, just four months ago, and then released under house arrest with an electronic tag. And... You know, the ISIS news agency, which, you know, just what is ISIS doing with a news agency by the name of Amak? How is it that they're able to operate and release press releases and have a facility that we have not and the French have not destroyed? It it just does it does not make any sense. But anyways, that Amak news agency posted by the group's supporters claimed the Normandy attackers were the terror outfit soldiers. The statements used language similar to the wording that Amak recently adopted following the Nice-France attacks. So 
The evil is unspeakable. The threat continues. Every day we hear of another horror that we are beset with, and the war continues. We are in a state of war against radical Islam. Europe is under siege, and we are only a few steps behind, God forbid. But we must defend them. We must develop a strategy against ISIS. We must stand together. And the Muslim community, I believe, as I've said before on this program, needs to wake up to the fact that ISIS is simply a symptom of a deeper problem, that the, the ideology is, is getting into these individuals because we are not countering it, not only just countering the violence, but we are not infusing in them a love and a passion for America, for France, for a defense of the secular homeland that Bastille Day stood for. This will continue. This guy was under monitoring, electronic monitoring, and he committed this act. I mean, when are we going to revisit exactly what methods are being done to uh, monitor these individuals and uh, to keep track of their movements when we have suspicions about the threat? I mean, if this guy sought to go to France, uh, from France to go to Syria, um, should he then have been detained? Doesn't that demonstrate treason? Doesn't that demonstrate a desire to work for an enemy to to battle in a jihad? Now, maybe not. Some could make the argument that recently there were patriots who were uh, killed fighting with the Kurds in Iraq and uh, in Syria. Uh, so how do you know which side they're going to fight for? They may lie. It's a complicated war in Syria. But ultimately, this is proving that we had our warning signs and our possibly the political correctness. But, you know, France uh, is not as politically correct as we are. Uh, they have identified the ideology as radical Islam, as Islamism. They have gone in and found mosques that they have raided after the Paris attacks that uh, some of them, three of them had stashes of weapons. Others did not. We can talk about, and I've talked about before on this program, whether that's a smart thing to do. Yes, if they know there's weapons, absolutely raid them. But if they're preaching hate, then monitor them, yes. Be close to the individuals listening and approving of that, yes. But I wouldn't shut them down and take them out of business because that would move them underground and create a bigger problem. So our prayers are with the people of France, are with the priest that was killed in his church. We pray for you. And as this war widens and deepens, we need to develop a plan, a strategy to counter this. And I would ask my Muslim friends to dig deep within and begin to develop a strategy that we can look at the ideology on countering the Islamic State. Join our Muslim reform movement that has a declaration that identifies a rejection of violent jihad, a rejection of the caliphate, a rejection of all Islamic states. And at the end of this program today, I'm going to talk to you about a project, Arrowhead, that looks at interviewing many of the radicals that have been arrested and what we can possibly learn from them. So, when we come back, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the political season that we're in 
and what we should be holding our candidates accountable for. There's a lot of talk about foreign entanglements, about foreign policy, but the litmus test that has been missed is where they are on Islamism. This is Zudi Jasser, and I'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This, your faithful uh, American Muslim patriot here to help you bridge the divides between the most controversial areas that uh, um, are the talk of the day related to radical Islam, the war against ISIS, and the reform, the deep reforms necessary. When we left off, uh, I said I was going to come back and talk to you about the political season, but there, there's one issue I want to talk about today uh, briefly. And, uh, you know, there's the the anti-Israel, um, anti-Semitic movement in America, the radical Islamists, if you will, uh, have been pushing a movement called BDS, which is about boycotting Israel. And um, there's been a lot written about uh, the... Uh, deep Islamist connections of the Palestinian movements related to Hamas that have fed that. But what I want to talk about is the the boycott efforts, not against Israel, but in the conflict in Syria, one of the primary mechanisms I think that American Muslims should use is not to boycott companies that are Western or American as crazy movements like BDS try to do, but something I've called for for years in the Muslim community is to do local and national boycotts of organizations, businesses that fund or fuel radical Islam. And there are some organizations that are beginning to look at the the, the connections of American money to radical Islam and that we should begin to boycott that. And I think all politics starts locally. So next time you talk to your Muslim friends, ask them if they know the political and financial connections of the local Muslim, Arabic, Iranian, Pakistani businesses. Ask them if they know if they have any connections to Ikhwan al-Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood, to Hamas, to Bashar al-Assad and the Syrian government, to Hassan Nasrullah and Hezbollah, to Iran. And now that the sanctions have been lifted on Iran, that even becomes more important. So I use this as an example because here locally in Phoenix, there has been a, a controversial oh, tempest, if you will, that has, I say finally, because uh, I have been calling for a boycott of this local a grocery store that is probably one of the largest uh, Middle Eastern stores here in Arizona. It's called Bay's Market. 
And Bay's market uh, owner is, uh, I believe, of Lebanese origin and is Shiite um, in his faith, and that's inconsequential. But the bottom line is, is we have known them to be longtime supporters of Hezbollah, and actually in their store, I remember the the only when one time I went there, there was a picture of Nasrullah hanging, and I knew that would be the last time I went there. Now later, as they saw the vast majority of Lebanese and Syrian that were going there, uh, did not look kindly on that, so they removed it. Well, there's a video that's been, now, this was back in, I think, 2005, 2006, and I was trying to tell everyone I knew that they should not shop there and we should boycott this local business. And I was looked upon as somehow a Israeli stooge and that this was because I was so pro-Israel and that uh, uh, Hezbollah has, uh, um, is not a terrorist organization, uh, no different than Hamas is not, et cetera, et cetera. These un-American, I think, radical viewpoints that um, many in the Muslim community here defended that uh, upset me quite a bit. Fast forward, Syrian revolution starts in 2011, and now you have initially what I felt was not a sectarian war, but rather one against the Ba'athist, Assadist, genocidal regime that then devolved into a Sunni versus Shia battle. And now you see Hezbollah sending tens of thousands of their soldiers into Syria to fight, Iran sending its revolutionary Republican Guard in to fight and bolster Assad, as Russia has also been helping them and give the Assad regime air support while it slaughters and kills over a half a million Sunnis or pushes them out as they've done into Europe with millions being exported in an attempt to ethnically cleanse Syria and shift the population demographics. And as a result, um, the Syrian Sunni population has been radicalized. You've seen a rise of ISIS. You've seen Jabhat al-Nusra and many, many factions of radical Islamist groups, um, while they might be milder than ISIS, are still Al-Qaeda and Muslim Brotherhood offshoots that are radicals that do not share our values. But having said that, uh, the supporters of the Assad regime are Hezbollah. Uh, as Assad uh, does not have enough troops to keep his power, even though he's got the money and the uh, military equipment to do so, including tanks and jets and helicopters in which he's dropping bombs on innocent neighborhoods. Hezbollah has sent thousands, and in a video surfaced just uh, a few weeks ago of Hassan Bey's, the brother of the owner of this store, uh, um, who was killed, according to this video, as a martyr, a martyr for jihad, the jihad against the Sunni devil that is in Syria. And this video is 15 to 20 minutes and is posted online. Uh, you can find it at my Facebook page and basically glorifies him and says that uh, the people he killed and he died in the way of God, etc. So... This, some people might find it controversial, but I do believe that the best way to demonstrate is not through war, but through protestation economically, through boycott. And sure enough, we've seen a lot of different social media uh, attempts here now locally to boycott, and it's coming usually from the Sunni community, to boycott that store. And I think 
it shows that as we get clarity to who our friends, who our allies, who our enemies are, um, oftentimes the, the root of conflicts can be waged not militarily, but best ideologically and economically. And we're starting to see this boycott against this store here locally. And I think that's a template that can be used across the nation. Understand where the stores, where the businesses in your town stand in regards to Assad, in regards to Hamas, in regards to ISIS and radical Islam. Ask them if they're with the Muslim reform movement and why not. And if they're ideologically not compatible with American ideas, then hold them accountable. Shop elsewhere. If they're with us, shop there. Encourage them. Make them profit from their um, acceptance of Western ideals. Uh, we do this all the time. We pick and choose the businesses that we work with based on um, various uh, values that we share or do not share. There's nothing wrong with that. It's very American and it's very free market. So hats off to the community for waking up. Now I'll say they woke up 10 years too late to this store, but I hope that template gets used elsewhere. So speaking of economic entanglements, with the selection this week of Senator Tim Kaine by Secretary Clinton, and former Senator Clinton, as her running mate, it was felt that he would bolster her national security credentials, that he would bring a previous governor, bring the state of Virginia, and other political machinations. But at the end of the day, there's a recent report put out by Clarion Project and Ryan Morrow, a, a wonderful counterterrorism analyst who's also a good friend, and Ryan lays out the worrisome connections, the Islamist ties of Senator Tim Kaine. Now, um, some have already criticized that this is uh, uh, just much to do about nothing. But the bottom line is, is uh, our American Islamic Forum for Democracy, as Ryan reported, had put out a protestation statement about Kaine's connections, that we called him out for his appointment of Isam Omesh to the Immigration Commission of Virginia, and that ultimately Omesh had to resign because it was exposed from the work of the Investigative Project on Terrorism and others of the deep connections of Isam to the Muslim American Society, which is basically the nervous system of the Muslim Brotherhood in the West, in America, his radical statements uh, condoning jihad, which then he apologetically said were not violent jihad, but yet were in defense of Hamas, Hezbollah, and other organizations, and his deep connections to the Islamic Society of North America, his uh, vice presidency of Dar al-Hijra Islamic Center, which was the Islamic Center which Imam Awlaki, who later became the notorious radicalizer of many of those, including the Fort Hood Islamist terrorist, uh, Nidal Hassan, who committed the act of horror at Fort Hood in November 5, 2009, in which he was radicalized at that mosque. Isam was tied to that mosque. And on and on, Omesh had connections to the Islamic American Society, 
I'm sorry, Islamic American University, which had Yusuf Qardawi, probably the, the global font of political Islam and the Muslim Brotherhood spiritual influencer that uh, had been the chairman of its board at least until 2006. And Omesh was the chairman of the board of the Islamic Center of Passaic County in a New Jersey mosque with heavy terrorist ties and an imam that the Department of Homeland Security wanted to deport for having links to Hamas. And the concerning connections, Omesh praised the Hamas spiritual leader, our beloved Sheikh Ahmed Yassin in 2004, and a, and a videotape service in 2000 in which Omesh said, the jihad is the way to liberate your land. And he says he denied that had anything to do with violence. So, not only did he then resign, but I can't find any verbiage that Cain did a mea culpa and said he understood what was happening. He obviously didn't do any of his homework. But this wasn't where it ended. In 2011, Ryan further explains how Senator Cain, I'm sorry, Governor Cain at the time, spoke at a candidate's night dinner organized by the New Dominion PAC that presented a Life Achievement Award for Jamal Berzinji. Berzinji is described by many, including the Global Muslim Brotherhood Watch, as the founding father of the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood Network. And anyone who's done any research knows the deep connections of Berzinji to many of the organizations that were part of the Holy Land Foundation trial, unindicted co-conspirators from the trial of 2008. And he had his home searched in 2003, um, as uh, part of a counterterrorism operation. And Patrick Poole has described that Berzinji was nearly prosecuted, but the Obama Justice Department dropped plans for that indictment. And he was vice president of IIIT, which is the International Institute of Islamic Thought. So bottom line is that this is a central actor in the Muslim Brotherhood ideology and network. And this PAC had donated um, 43000 to Kane's gubernatorial campaign, Barzinji himself, uh, um, his organization Triple IT donated ten thousand dollars, and the PAC had tied to to the Democratic Party, donating up to a quarter million um, donations with the Virginia Public Access Project. So. Brzezinski's grandson served under Governor McAuliffe's administration and became the Obama administration liaison to the Muslim American community. So these connections are deep. And all I can tell you is that there's no evidence that Cain had done any research or that he really cared much about the deep Islamist connections of Amesh, Brzezinski, Triple IT, the Islamic side of North America, Dar al-Hijra. And... You know, there were many opportunities. Uh, Congressman Frank Wolf in northeastern Virginia near Dar al-Hijra gave uh, multiple House floor speeches about this threat, about Dar al-Hijra, about uh, MAS, CARE, and the connections of these individuals. So the information's out there. But Senator Kane, and before that, Governor Kane refused to pay attention. So... This is relevant. When you put that together with a, um, Secretary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation and its foreign entanglement with the Qatar Foundation and millions that are coming from Petro-Islam that are obstructionists to reform, 
the writing is not good when it comes to these two candidates on their ability in the future to actually step up and identify radical Islam as the problem and reformists as the solution. Now, Hillary did recently say a few weeks ago, well, she doesn't care. She'll call it jihad. She'll call it radical Islam, but that won't solve anything. And as we discussed a couple episodes ago, it does begin to solve issues because we can then begin to identify the enemy and identify reformers and our allies within the House of Islam. When we come back, I want to give equal time and and talk about the Trump campaign's foreign entanglements. I'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck, available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. It's always great to be with you and thank you. Thank you for subscribing and listening to uh, this one-of-a-kind podcast of an American Muslim who loves my country, but also loves my faith with a tough love and is looking to expose the radical ideology within. And currently, the, the elephant in the room globally are the foreign entities of Petro, Petro-Islam and its billions that, that buys off both parties, Democrat and Republican, to silence them from naming Islamism, from um, using the ability that the West has and America has in strong campaigns of ideologies, abandons that use and that power, that ability, in order to, to cozy up to regimes that allows the status quo to be fossilized and not allow nascent movements for revolution, for change across the Middle East. And there's no better example of that than, as I mentioned uh before the Clinton Foundation and its deep ties, its deep ties to Persian Gulf Sikhs. The Daily Caller News Foundation had an investigation that you and I have spoken about before, it showed over $100 million from autocratic Persian Gulf states and their leaders. Uh, the regimes are basically buying access. And uh, this is not just uh, a problem with the Democrats. Haley Barber, the Washington Post, showed between March 2015 and March 2016 had taken in a half a million dollars from the Saudi lobby. What did they get in exchange? A maintenance of the belief in Washington that Saudi Arabia has to be our ally because they're fighting ISIS with us. Oh, but never mind that the founding fathers of the ideology of Wahhabi Islam that is the root preachings of Sheikh Baghdadi and ISIS come from Saudi Arabia, that they commit more beheadings in Saudi Arabia than even ISIS does, that women are treated similarly in Saudi Arabia that they are in ISIS's lands. So 
this is what they get from a bipartisan way, but the Clinton Foundation egregiously had accepted up to $85 million in donation from five Persian Gulf states. So what do they get in exchange for money from Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Oman, and the Emirates? Well, look at the work of the Clinton Foundation. Very little is directed at the Gulf areas to promote women's rights, to promote freedom, to promote liberty. Very little is directed to helping the Arab awakening. Instead, they did some work in Afghanistan and Pakistan. They did a lot of work in Africa, some in China. So that money buys silence, it buys, buys blindness, and buys a convenient negligence when it comes to defending prisoners of conscience across the Muslim world. So when people say, where are the moderate voices of Islam and Muslims? Oh, the Clinton Foundation was not helping that. And Hillary Clinton, I, I dare to tell you, along with Senator Kane, will not be, uh, I can't find that they're going to be champions of continuing the Arab awakening, not only against the secular military dictators of Assad, of the monarchs of the Middle East, but also against the Islamists that are trying to fill in this vacuum. The Clinton Secretary, uh, uh, the Clinton State Department defended the Brotherhood. Yeah, they were elected democratically, but we did not need to continue defending a democratically elected theocracy, which then the Egyptian people rejected only a year and a half later. No, I never supported the coup that ousted the Brotherhood, but I did support the Revolution 2.0 that wanted to oust them. They just should have had another set of elections instead of the coup. But Secretary Clinton defended the Brotherhood, continued to want to support them, and I think this is why in the Arab Street we lost a lot of credibility under Secretary Clinton. And a lot of that comes from the monies that she received from Islamist sympathizers, and at least the Clinton Foundation received, which she probably, with a wink and a nod, appreciated for her legacy and her bill and Bill's legacy. Now, we have to be fair. The Republican nominee, Donald Trump, is not free of his own entanglements with foreign monies. Mr. Trump may be obviously not part of the political establishment, having never run for office previously in America, but when it comes to the global economic establishment, I think it's hard to say that he's not part of it. There are many wealthy Muslims that have helped Donald Trump build his empire. And, you know, again, the proof of these connections is not that, well, yes, there may be an apologetic that a billionaire businessman may have a lot of economic connections, so what does that mean? It doesn't come with strings attached. Well, then, why is he probably of the 17 primary candidates the silent, the most silent when it came to criticizing Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, Qatar, the Gulf states, when it came to criticizing Assad? Uh, he even a few weeks ago was positive about Saddam Hussein. Now he said he's a bad man, etc., and went on for minutes criticizing him as a dictator, but said, you know, when he dealt with terrorism, he did it effectively basically defending the strongman approach to counterterrorism, which, by the way, is ineffective, which, by the way, Saddam had one of the world's greatest sources of radical Islam coming out of his 
torture chamber, his Republic of Fear, as the book described Saddam Hussein's country, which radicalized hundreds of thousands of Muslims and was a source for Al-Qaeda around the planet, which was nonsense. So the bottom line is, is uh, um, you know, Mr. Trump's um, next, his company, Trump Organization, will be opening Trump Dubai, uh, supposedly in 2017, a uh, billion dollar plus operation uh, with a uh, known um oil mogul there, Qatar Airways, uh, a constitutional monarchy ruled by a Thani family, had a corporate campus in the Trump Tower on 5th Avenue in Manhattan since at least 2008. Qatar is the Islamist font for the Brotherhood, now especially since it was shut down in Egypt, uh, where Brotherhood uh, has been uh, basically made illegal. Qardawi and Al Jazeera and other are the global distributors of probably the primary ideological enemy of America. Political Islam is coming from Qatar. And they pay rent uh, anywhere between twenty and $100,000 a month. Uh, Sharia is the principal source of legislation for Qatar. Um, and uh, when Qatar launched its flights to New York... Uh, uh, Melania and uh, Trump were guests at the star-studded uh, Lincoln Center, uh, where they palled around with Akbar al-Bakr on the red carpet, the CEO of uh, Qatar Airways. A number of Saudi princes uh, um, uh, have uh, lavish uh, residences uh, at the Trump Tower apartments. Um, and, uh, for example, a royal family member, Prince Nawaf bin Sultan Abdul Aziz al-Saud, uh, sold, uh, put on sale earlier this year, $48 million uh, estate uh, at Trump Place. And there were other buyouts from Prince Al-Walid and, um, and uh, um, other businesses that uh, are part of the Trump empire. Bottom line is, is that, and oh yeah, by the way, all of this uh, does not uh, also... Um, the the part that I think that's also fascinating is uh, his relationship with Farouk Shami, the hair mogul, um, the Texas billionaire uh, who has the hair product empire that uh, ran one of the Apprentice shows in which uh, the projects were directed at pleasing Mr. Shami. And uh, Donald Trump was effusive in his friendship and love and relationship for Mr. Shami. And... Shami, by the way, withdrew his sponsorship of the Miss Universe pageant after he voiced concern over Mr. Trump's commentaries about Mexicans. But then, as Trump became the Republican candidate, he voiced that he wanted to reconnect with him and said on Al Jazeera that he was going to help donate and and uh, um, uh, promote his campaign as the Republican candidate. So uh, it's interesting, I think, to note that um, Shami has noted that the media has been anti-Islam. He talks about Islamophobia. He uses the talking points of care, the Council on American-Islamic Relations. And um, if you look at some of the verbiage that um, 
the Palestinian dilemma, saying that uh, he would have neutrality about Israel and Palestine. Now, later to APAC, uh, he did uh, appear to amend those remarks. But the bottom line is, is uh, it is clear to me that relationships with folks like Mr. Shami um, do influence him. I think that uh, ultimately the hand that feeds you when you have business relationships with them uh, do have an impact on your verbiage. And there is no doubt, if you look abroad, that Mr. Trump's silence when it comes to dictatorships, when it comes to monarchs, I believe is rooted possibly with business connections, at best and at worst, a defense of authoritarianism, and we see with his defense of Putin and others, uh, I have yet to find him say anything critical of Vladimir Putin, Russian operations in Syria, Russian operations um, and um, living standards for lack of religious freedom, lack of human rights, uh, the torture of their dissidents, uh, and the continuation of the former KGB head in an attempt who probably wants to resurrect the Soviet Union, the Trump uh, effort to remove the criticism of Russia's operation in the Ukraine from the Republican platform, all of these things raise suspect, raise questions about the influence of his economic connections to ultimately what has happened with his positions in this campaign. So, I think from both campaigns, we have a bleak outlook about the position of reformists, of dissidents, those who want to seek change from the old power structures globally. And when you ask for change domestically, make no mistake, the influence of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, the Islamist Mafia globally, upon Muslims domestically is huge. It is huge. It is the driver when you look at groups like CARE that love to appear on press TV, Iranian TV, that love to appear on Al Jazeera, and while Al Jazeera America was trying to make it, were filling their studios. And thankfully it failed. But while it was trying to succeed, they were filling the studios. So these foreign operations have huge influence on Muslim ideologies in America and upon our foreign policy upon our negligence, and as I believe from both sides. Now, which side is worse? I'll leave that for you to ascertain. And when we come back in the last segment, I'd like to talk to you when you come back about Project Arrowhead. This is Zudi Jasser, your faithful American Muslim reformer. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stu. Are you upset about it? While this one might be hurting Hillary Clinton, and, and, and we obviously think she's terrible, are you happy with the idea that the Russian government, spy agencies, whoever is responsible for this, has stepped in and is now interceding in an American election for president? Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. In our last segment, let's step away. Enough with the politics. 
we'll figure this out somehow. But uh, um, the most important thing, I think, is what we can do on the grassroots, at the grassroots level, to help keep our country safe. Homeland security, and we talked about Europe being under siege. We talked about some of the almost impossibility of predicting which previously normal-appearing Muslim will all of a sudden turn into an ISIS jihadist ready to behead or attempt to behead a poor 86-year-old priest. And I was blessed to uh, um, have uh, Professor Godfrey Garner from Mississippi reach out to me, and uh, he penned a piece a few weeks ago about identifying the next likely terrorist. And he talked about a project that he and his students are, are leading, and I have agreed to participate in as an advisor, as their primary Muslim advisor in this, uh, which is interviewing as many convicted Islamist terrorists in American jails as we can, and using a questionnaire to begin to look at some of the common pathways of radicalization. Now, previous to this work, one of the primary works that looked at this and didn't use interviewing um, techniques, but rather had just used counterterrorism sources and research uh, was the work of Mitch Silber at the uh, NYPD report on homegrown radicalization in the West. Now, thanks to the victimization mantra of Muslim advocates and the Muslim Public Affairs Council of New York, Council on American-Islamic Relations, that standard-bearer research, that sentinel study that talked about the stages of jihadization, that talked about going from simply self-identifying with Islamist movements to radicalization, to jihadization, and then spiritual sanctioner, those stages of radicalization, that study, that report that was one of the cornerstones of national counterterrorism work has been removed from availability in public research online because it offended Muslims. Initially, one page was added to say that some of the discussions of what Orthodox Muslims may do that makes them more religious should not be connected to radicalization, which, again, I don't think is necessary, is obvious for anyone who appreciates the difference between personal piety and global Islamist militant movements. But obviously there's commonalities there, and we need to stop the apologetics and realize that those common pathways have to be looked at, and ultimately the reform will separate out the common pathways of pure piety, Quranic recitation versus militant interpretations of that Quranic interpretations and Hadith and Wahhabi ideology, among other militant or Salafi jihadi ideologies. So Dr. Garner and his colleagues are beginning this research. They are... Um, through the support by and and um, constant advisement and involvement of members of the Mississippi Department of Homeland Security and Mississippi's congressional delegation, as well as the FBI, locally and nationally. Uh, they have begun Project Arrowhead to provide a picture of the at-risk population in terms of who could succumb to the message of Islamic extremism and recruitment, the questionnaires and the data will be invaluable 
in developing, as Godfrey says, a counter-messaging and intervention strategies to combat the impact of these highly effective recruitment efforts on the part of groups such as ISIS and Al-Qaeda. The project is underway. We're beginning to look at how do we identify that next piece of hay and a stack of hay. And at the Mississippi College, Godfrey and his students and his colleagues are beginning this task of putting together a questionnaire and then ultimately interviewing many of the convicted terrorists that have been radicalized and looking at common pathways. And not only common pathways at the end when they decided to become militant as our current narrative of countering violent extremism is focused on, but initially, what began to separate them out of society? Because sometimes the radicalization happens quite quickly. Other times, quickly I'm talking over a few weeks to a month or two. Other times it takes a few years. The process is probably very similar, but sometimes extremely accelerated based on internal anguish, internal instability, etc. But the research will show us what those signs are. But I think there is a lot of data out there to be had from having conversations with previous convicted ISIS supporters, Al-Qaeda supporters, radical Islamists, and not ones that were radicalized in prison by listening to the jihadi imams that control many of the Islamic spiritual leadership of some of the prisons, but rather instead the ones that were put in jail because of adherence to the ISIS ideology and desire to commit an act of violent extremism. Hopefully, by the end of our research, the study can be used to begin to abandon simply focusing on countering violent extremism and bring us to a point in which our country can focus on countering violent Islamism and begin to look at what are the steps in which a hyper-Orthodox Salafi becomes a Salafi Jihadi. And you may not know what those terms are, but hopefully after listening and joining me week to week, you'll become a better expert about what is Salafism. And as I said, Salaf, the friends of the Prophet, those who want to reproduce the behaviors at the time of the Prophet. And ultimately, if it just refers to prayer, refers to supplication, it refers to scripture, that's harmless. But if it refers to Salafi jihadism, if it refers to interpretation that jihad is against all those who reject ISIS, who reject the Islamic State's, and that jihad should be armed, should be violent, should be militant, then Salafi jihadism is a threat. And we need to understand what takes our youth. And as I have three kids, and so many Muslims have kids that we're worried about, I'm curious about what are the the methods in which they could, God forbid, become radicalized. And as I've told you, I think on the first program that you and I had together, I think at the core we're going to find at some point these radicals decided they wanted to die for something and they found that that something was the Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, hate towards Israel, hate towards America, a separationist ideology. That yes, we can figure that out, that those are the ideas that might radicalize them. But until we replace it 
with teaching our American Muslim youth that the only thing any of us, the only thing I would have ever wanted to die for is America, is for freedom and liberty, that that is the only way to inoculate them against radicalization, that if they want to join the Navy, if they want to join the Army, to join a struggle for freedom, for liberty against our enemies, especially the Islamist enemies, who not only are anti-American, but are anti-Muslim in the way that they target priests and target innocents within the Muslim and outside the Muslim communities. That ummah needs to no longer mean state, and it needs to just mean our faith community, like so many diverse faith communities exist. This struggle is going to be a long one, and I'm proud to join Godfrey and Project Arrowhead. I'll let you know how it goes as we put the research together. But tell your friends about it. We hope to get some attention to this work because it's very important and there's no work being done similar to it. And we'll, I'll be doing it in my capacity at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. We thank him for the opportunity to do that. And we hope that there will be no barriers to political correctness that prevent us from addressing the connection of some of the things of the faith that I hold dearly that we have to realize may be radicalizing our community and individuals in a way that can be more predictable than we think. So, as the season gets fired up in politics, hold both candidates, hold any of the candidates accountable to whether they will identify Islamism, whether they will engage and change CVE, countering violent extremism, to countering violent Islamism. And once they do that, once they say they want to counter those who believe in the Sharia state, then they're with us. They're our allies. I don't care about their business connections to the Middle East, or maybe they, uh, be it for the Clinton Foundation, they're rejecting all of their previous donations. Uh, you know, bottom line is if they finally come to terms with the enemy, so be it. But my sense is one of significant pessimism from both candidates that they show no evidence so far that they are going to work with us against political Islam. Perhaps one can make an argument that Mr. Trump has done, has begun to do that. I don't know. But as this political season goes on, please begin to hold our candidates accountable on these things. And pray for Europe as it hopefully will get a respite from the siege of violent and militant and horrific attacks that it sees almost every day, God forbid. Thank you for joining me again on Reform This. This is your faithful radio host for the Blaze Radio Network, Dr. Zudi Jasser. Talk to you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.